Please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time to the Gospel of Matthew. This morning we're in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 17 through 30. Our message series is called Lead Me to the Cross. Uh, And in this series we are following Jesus' last days to the cross as recorded for us here in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus purposefully followed his Father's plan. As God the Father led God the Son to the cross of Calvary. And in all of his actions, it is though Jesus were praying, Father, lead me to the cross. And so as we approach Lenten season this year, we are also asking God to lead us to the cross. That we may better understand what Jesus did for us and that we may take up our own cross and follow Christ. So today, we're going to be looking at the foreshadowing of the cross. The foreshadowing of the cross is found in the Last Supper. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 30 in the course of the message, but to get us started, I'm just going to read verses 17 through 19. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread... The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we look into these verses and the verses following, uh, Lord, I pray that once again you would open our minds to understand your word, that you would open our hearts to embrace your word, that you would uh, open our wills to indeed follow you and obey your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The first Sunday of each month at our church, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We break the bread and we pass the cup, as together we share this meal that is focused on Christ and the cross. For us, the Lord's Supper looks back to the cross and what Jesus did for us there. But for Jesus and his disciples, the cross was still in the future. And so for them, rather than a meal of remembrance, the Lord's Supper was a foreshadowing of that which was yet to come. This was Jesus' last supper with his disciples before the cross. Uh, Each of the gospel writers uh, emphasized different aspects of this meal. But Matthew, in his gospel, Matthew especially focuses on the plan of God as revealed in the Last Supper. Now, as we'll see as we go through our passage today, this was all part of God's plan for Jesus and for us. God's long plan of salvation was being worked out even as Jesus worked his way to the cross. Jesus' death on the cross was no accident Rather, it was a divine appointment 
And in today's passage, once again, as we'll see, uh, Matthew draws attention to this. He draws attention to three things. There's an outline in your worship guide, if you'd like to take that out to follow along, or maybe jot down some notes as we go. There it is. He draws attention to Jesus' appointed time, his appointed betrayal, and his appointed death. So first, let's take a look at Jesus' appointed time. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that God sent Jesus when the time had fully come. And that means Jesus was born at the exact time God appointed, and that Jesus also died at the exact time God had appointed. And we see this at the Last Supper when Jesus chooses both the time and the place of his last meal before the cross. Let's take a look at that. First of all, Jesus chooses the time. We see this in verses 17 and 18. On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we read about it earlier from the book of Exodus uh, in the service. Uh, this was an annual feast for the Jews, and it began with the Passover meal. It began with the Passover meal in the evening, and then it just kept on going, okay? This is, this is one of those feasts that went on for seven days. And on this particular year, the Passover fell on a Thursday evening. And so sometime during that day was, was when the disciples approached Jesus and asked him, where do you want us to go to make preparations for the meal? And interestingly, before giving them instructions on the place, that was what they asked, where, Jesus first points to the time, to the timing of the event. He says, my appointed time is near. And there is great significance in Jesus' choice of time for the Last Supper. The Passover meal was symbolic of God's great deliverance of Israel from Egypt. It pointed back to that night of the final plague when God took the lives of the firstborn sons of Egypt. But remember, God protected the Israelites during this plague. He instructed each household to slaughter a lamb and then to take some of, of the blood and to put it on the sides and the tops of their door frames of their homes. And he told them, he said, the blood will be a sign for you in the houses where you are and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And so the, the Israelites were protected when God executed his judgment on Egypt that night. But you see, Jesus chose the Passover for his last meal, not only because it pointed back to this great act of redemption, but because it also foreshadowed God's great act of redemption at the cross. Jesus lived his whole life in the shadow of the cross. And he often spoke about his hour, right? He'd say, my hour has not yet come. My, my hour has not yet come. But now it had come. The hour was drawing near. 
it was time for the Passover, and Jesus chose the Passover as the time for his last meal before the cross. His appointed time was near. Jesus not only chose the time, but he also chose the place. Let's, let's go back to the scriptures, verses 18 and 19. Once again, he said, go into the city to a certain man, tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Jesus has been anticipating this meal. And he's already worked out all of the details. He tells the, the disciples exactly who to contact and exactly what to say. He knows exactly where they will eat the meal and he knows all that will happen. Once again, as we saw last week, Jesus is the one in charge here. Yes, the religious leaders may plot to take his life and Judas may conspire to betray him, but Jesus goes willingly to the cross. He chooses the time and place of the Last Supper. He has a divine appointment to keep, and he will keep it at God's appointed time. But not only did Jesus have an appointed time, he also had an appointed betrayal. An appointed betrayal. We move now to verses 20 through 22, and where Jesus announces his betrayal. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad, and they began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Picture the scene with me. It's evening. They're having a feast. Jesus is eating with his disciples. They're sharing the Passover. Notice Matthew emphasizes the 12 here. The 12. These are not just any disciples. These are the 12 Jesus specifically chose at the beginning of his ministry. These are the ones who left everything to follow him. And for three years they've traveled and ministered and shared life together. And now Jesus drops this bombshell on them. I tell you the truth, one of you, one of you, the 12, will betray me. Now, Jesus has already told them several times before this that he would be betrayed, okay? He'd already told them that. So they knew he was going to be betrayed. This is the first time he tells them that it's going to be one of them, one of the 12 will be the betrayer. And his disciples, they're, they're stunned. One of us? How's that even possible? Whatever laughter or, or celebration may have been taking place during the feast is immediately replaced with sadness and grief. And one by one, the disciples begin asking Jesus, Surely not I, Lord. Surely not I. And it's interesting, isn't it, that each of the disciples looks first at himself instead of each other. Their first concern is not, well, who is it? No, their first concern is surely not I. Because you see, the only thing worse 
then one of their number betraying Jesus would be if they were the betrayer themselves. I also find it interesting that none of them looked at Judas. Judas had hidden his treachery well. So well that each of the disciples examined their own heart rather than immediately pointing their finger at Judas. I know it's not communion today, but we do well when we follow that same practice. When we share communion together, communion is a time to examine your own heart before God. Not the time to be pointing a finger at someone else. Jesus not only announces his betrayal, he also identifies his betrayer. Look at verse 23 now with me, where Jesus responds to the disciples' questions. They've been saying, surely not I, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. You notice Jesus does not specifically identify Judas as the betrayer here. I mean, he could have just said, it's Judas, right? He could have just pointed, here he is, that's the one. He's not so much identifying the specific one as so much as confirming that the betrayer is indeed a close friend. At the feast, there was a common bowl at the table. So they all would have dipped in the bowl together. Jesus here, he's simply talking about sharing a meal. And sharing a meal is a sign of trust and friendship. Jesus' words here remind us of King David's words in the Old Testament, Psalm 41.9, where David wrote prophetically, Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And so Jesus confirms that his betrayer is in the room at that very moment and that he is indeed a close friend. Jesus goes on to say, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. Judas's betrayal of Christ was written about in the Scriptures long before it happened, back in the Old Testament. But you know, that does not absolve him of his responsibility in the matter. Yes, this was all part of God's plan, but Judas was a willing participant. No one forced him to betray Christ. Judas did it willingly from the darkness of his own heart. And so Jesus delivers this frightening word of judgment. He says, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And so Jesus will be betrayed as foretold by Scripture. But woe to that man who betrays him. There's no darker deed than betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, there are some things worse than not being born. And finally, we read Judas' response to all this in verse 25. Then Judas 
The one who would betray him said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Judas feigns innocence here. He tries to disguise his betraying heart by asking the same question all the other disciples asked. But notice there's, there's one very significant difference. All the other disciples asked, Surely not I, Lord. Judas cannot quite bring himself to call Jesus Lord at this point in his life. And so he asks, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, yes, it is you. And folks, this changes everything. You may remember from last week's message that the religious leaders had planned to wait until the following week to arrest Jesus, right? They were going to wait until after the feast was over, after the crowds went home. But now that, Je- now that Judas knows that Jesus knows, Everything changes. And so Judas goes right to the priest that very night to betray Jesus, just as it was written, just as Jesus had foretold. Jesus has an appointment to keep, and by identifying his betrayer, Jesus sets in motion the events that will lead to his arrest that night and the cross the following day. So we've looked at at Christ's appointed time, we've looked at his appointed betrayal, we now look at his appointed death. And then sharing the bread and the cup with his disciples, Jesus shows that his death is also appointed. You'll notice as we read these verses, he speaks in the present tense as he offers the bread and the cup, showing the absolute certainty of his coming death. Look at verse 26, where Jesus offers the bread while they were eating. Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And the breaking of the bread here is a foreshadowing of the incredible physical suffering that Jesus will experience in the hours to come. We know from the scriptures that Jesus will be beaten, clubbed, scourged and nailed to the cross. He will be bloodied and bruised beyond recognition. His body will be broken for you and for me. So Jesus breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Next, Jesus offers the cup, verses 27 and 28. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And the cup is a foreshadowing of the cross, where Jesus' blood will be poured out in death for many. And Jesus makes a new covenant in his, new, in his blood, a new covenant where everyone, everyone who comes to him for salvation finds forgiveness for their sins and life everlasting. And then Jesus points forward to that life everlasting in verse 29 where he says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. 
And so, yes, this is Jesus' last supper with his disciples before the cross. The appointed time for his death is near. But there is another appointed time. And there's another appointed feast in the future. And here Jesus looks beyond the cross to that time when all things will be made new. He looks forward to the great feast in the kingdom of God. When they will share the cup together in a new way. So verse 29 is just a beautiful ray of, of hope and light in an otherwise dark and gloomy scene. Yes, Jesus will be betrayed. Yes, Jesus will die. But yes, Jesus will rise victorious. And he will bring in the kingdom of God. Then Matthew closes out his account of the Last Supper with verse 30. He says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus first offers the bread, then he offers the cup, and then finally he offers praise. Praise to his Father. The cross is coming, but it's all part of God's plan. There's an appointed time, an appointed betrayal. There's even an appointed death, and yet none of this dissuades Jesus. He offers up a hymn of praise, and he follows his Father's plan to the very end. It is as though Jesus were praying, Father, lead me to the cross, the appointed time and place of my death. There are a number of applications we can make to ourselves from our passage this morning. Let me share three of them with you. Number one, trust God's sovereignty. Trust God's sovereignty. Marvel at the plan of God. You know, we see so much sin and evil in this world and we get discouraged and yet we need to realize God is still working out his sovereign plan. And that God in his sovereignty works all things together for good. Even Judas's betrayal of Jesus. And let's face it, if God can take the worst action ever committed by any human being and then take that and use it for good in his plan, then we can trust God's sovereignty in our lives as well. That's application number one. Trust God's sovereignty. Number two is a tough one, but it comes right from our passage. Fear hell. Fear hell. You see, sin is not just in, in the world out there, right? Sin is in here, isn't it? It's in each and every one of us. And just as there was a time appointed for Jesus' death, so there is a time appointed for judgment. Jesus said it would have been better for Judas not to have been born than to betray Christ. Once again, there are some things worse than never being born. And although you may never betray Jesus, if you reject Jesus, 
you along with Judas will face eternal punishment in hell. Trust God's sovereignty. Fear hell. And finally, number three, receive. Receive Jesus' death for you. Jesus invites you, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There is forgiveness at the cross of Christ. The Israelites, remember, they trusted God and they were protected when God executed judgment on Egypt. When your faith is in Christ, you will be protected when God executes his judgment on this world. And just as God passed over the homes of the Israelites, when he saw the blood on the door frames of their houses, so God's judgment will pass over you when he sees the blood of Jesus on the door frames of your heart. Oh Lord, lead me. Lead me to the cross where Jesus died for me. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. It's a familiar passage. We review it almost every month as we, uh, as we share communion together. But Lord, I pray that we may have understood your plan in all of this in a whole new way today. Lord Jesus, this was your appointed time, that it was an appointed betrayer, that your death even had been appointed from long ago, prophesied, foretold in the scriptures. Lord Jesus, you kept on telling your disciples what was going to happen, and they just couldn't seem to take it in. Lord, we're on the other side of the cross, and so we look back and we can see how it all fits together. We praise you for your wonderful, loving, gracious, amazing plan of salvation. The wonderful grace that you've shown us in sending Jesus to be our Savior. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.